All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again for our podcast video, Art of the Assistant. And man, am I excited about today. And I know you say, Trey, I hear that every time you do one, but it's true. But today I'm exceptionally excited because I've got my friend Kurt Skelly with us today. And Kurt's one of these guys that, you know, I have no notes written because we think alike. Um, Our journeys have been the same in many ways. And we just know we're going to be able to take off with just a subject that's heavy upon our hearts, things that we've seen um, in our own ministries, things that we've seen in others' ministries that have gone well and that have not gone so well. So, Kurt, welcome. Great to have you on Art of the Assistant, my brother. Yeah, I have really been looking forward to this, and uh, I'm just humbled that any of you would be listening right now. And insofar, they that, might not be anymore. They might have just turned you off. <laughs> they may have, but who, for the two people that are listening, let me just say hi to my wife uh, <laughs> and my mom and, and my, my mom. mom. There we go, and my mom. <laughs> oh man, well, Kurt, it's great to have you on here, and just excited again about jumping in and and talking. Really, what I think is is so important. You know, when we talk about transitions. And, and you coming into faith, me coming into faith, and I know there was someone in between you and Doc Forrester, but still the people, um, their heart, their mind was, you know, they, they were still there. And he was still a, a striving force in the, not force, but a striving influence in the church. I come in for Benny Moran, who had been there 49 years, started the church in his living room. And the majority of the people that I was ministering to were people that came up under him. And so anything we we were going to do or you and I were going to do was going to be different. And as these men are listening, many of these assistants, if the Lord leads them to do so, will step into a ministry one day and very possible a ministry from someone that's retired, stepped down or even passed away. And knowing how to go into that, knowing when to change, how to change, what to change, what not to change, it's extremely important. And so I just thought we could talk today about that, about this aspect of, you know, the change is compromise. It's not, but, but how much is too much? And what I want to springboard off of is Joshua. Joshua has always been my hero uh, of the, of the faith. Uh, from the time I was a kid, I knew that God, when God just sealed the deal for me to be in ministry, he brought me to Joshua chapter one and verse nine. And that's a long story, but, and my heart's always wanted to be the Joshua. I've always wanted to be the guy that came in behind a founding pastor and to build upon that foundation. It's it's a weird thing, but it's just what God laid on my heart. And when Joshua starts off in Joshua chapter one, you know, he he's getting ready to cross the Jordan and, and God comes to him and he says, all right, Joshua, here's how you're going to do it. And he's like, let me guess, I'm going to take my, my staff and put it up and put it over the Jordan. God says, no, the priests are going to go and their feet are going to get in the water and then the water is going to the waters will open and you know i i add to the text i take liberty here but you know you can just see the older guys standing back thinking you know this isn't the way moses did it this isn't the way i heard about moses doing this you know is joshua is this really what joshua should be doing i mean is this god's way this wasn't moses's way and and a lot of times coming into a new ministry, you you feel like the Joshua, you know, we're not doing it the way the guy before me did. So when we step into these ministries, Kurt, and stepping into those situations, you know, some guys are 100 days, a year, five years. When when is it safe to say, OK, we can start making some changes and when? Well, I mean, I love the illustration that you use about Joshua and when it comes to the methodology of what they did, indeed, it was different. I mean, it was different for Joshua to tell them. But but here's what was the same. What, what was the same was both of these men were in tune with God. Uh, both of them did what God told them to do. So I think the, the key is when le- leadership has to stay in tune with the Lord, stay in tune with the word of God, and then it would have been disobedient for Joshua to have done it the way that Moses did. You know, the obedience was following Moses, following Moses' relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like when we came to faith, they, they asked me a bunch of questions. And it's interesting, when you go to a new church, the, the questions that are asked tell you a whole lot about the priorities of the people. And it was interesting because most of the questions that I received had nothing to do with doctrine. They had nothing mm-hmm. to do with my, my stance on the Bible, my stance on the Trinity, my stance yeah. on the deity yeah. of Jesus Christ. 
uh, they had to do with thing like preferential issues and preferences go both ways. So mm-hmm. to me, it's like for someone to say, well, that's just a preference. My response would be, well, yeah, that's just a preference. So it goes both ways. Right. So to understand preferences, and I think that's where we're going to go with this conversation. Yeah. But to me, the key to preference is deference. The mm-hmm. key to preference is deference. That if we do identify something in ministry, indeed, as a preference, then my responsibility to that conversation is deference. So with preference, there should be deference. And and we we found that to be true here at Faith Baptist Church. Now, we can talk about the who, what, when, where, how, and you know, especially the when, you know, what when is change appropriate, what change is appropriate, how how should that change be implemented? So yeah. I'm willing to go down that road however you want to go down that road yeah. today. Yeah, that sounds good. So let's let's look. So do you remember um the first change that you made that in the back of your mind you're like, okay, this will be interesting to see how this goes. Do you remember which one that was, or did you have one? I'll give yeah, you a for instance uh, with okay, mine. Yeah. Okay, so mine was we had Sunday night services, and they were at seven o'clock on Sunday night. And oh my goodness, you talk about late. It's like oh, these are, by the time we were done, and if we grab a bite to eat, we're getting home late and getting the kids in bed and trying to get to school, and it was just terrible, terrible. And and I it was kind of the squeaky wheel. You, a lot of people were complaining about it. And all right, so. I talked to the deacons about it. I said, okay, we're going to make a service change and we'll start doing Sunday night services at 6 p.m. And we didn't vote on it. We just we just made that a decision. And I remember announcing that and Pastor Moran, you know, being right up there, three rows up and, and just kind of like, oh, man, I wonder how he's going to take this. This was 45 years of Sunday nights at seven and now I'm I'm changing it. And so he let a couple of weeks go by and then he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about that. Sunday night service change. I was like, oh no, here, here it comes. You know, here we go. I said, okay. I said, what's up? He's like, that was such a smart thing to do. He's like, that was, that was just wise. I'm so glad you did it, man. We're getting home before dark. And, and I'm just, I'm just glad you made that change. And I'm like, why didn't you ever make that change? He's like, because in 1971, the church voted for Sunday nights at seven. And that's what we did. <laughs> you know, it was just like, this is what the church voted on. That's what we did. But man, I'm glad we're changing it. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh no, this is going to be bad. What's going to happen? And with Pastor Marine even still alive, he's like, hey, that's a good thing. And so that was what, what, a, blessing. Yeah, what a blessing to have that support. From, from right, him. right, right. Because I, again, I wasn't sure this was going to be the first thing I was doing when I came in. And, and it's not, again, not a doctrinal thing. I'm not, I'm not changing doctrine. I'm, this is what I'm doing. Now, when you came, Kurt, did you guys have, um, did you, were you hymn books or did you have music on the screen too? Or do you guys do music on screen? How do you do music at Faith? Let let, let me, let me go to that question, but I want to say one thing before that. It was interesting because you asked me a moment ago, you know, what was one thing you changed? And I was just about to say, well, I think the first major change we made was Sunday night services. Okay. So it was interesting that you brought Hmm. that up. And yeah. hours later, I changed it to five. Okay, um, but but here here are a couple things that we did, and and really, and this applies to all of our change. So anything that we've changed uh, at Faith Baptist Church, and we've not made wholesale changes, but yeah. everything that we've changed has followed this rubric. Okay, and that is this: number one, don't change anything. Try mm-hmm. things. Yeah. I learned that years ago from my friend Steve Chapel. Don't change anything try things because change is kind of like we always did it this way now we're always going to do it this way it's a hard edge instead of providing a baton passing segment and saying hey folks here's something we're going to try so we're going to try sunday nights at five hey what we might find is we might find it was a total bust we might find that this thing just doesn't work but we're going to try this number two provide the rationale way ahead of time so here's what I did yeah. on Sunday nights. I said, folks, here's something we're going to try. We're going to try Sunday nights at five. Now, let me give you two reasons why we're going to try that. Number one, we have so many workers that work in Washington, D.C. They would love to come to Sunday night church. Some of them can't just because they get up at 3.30 in the morning. Others do, but it's a real sacrifice. 
why don't the rest of us, why don't we be sensitive to that? Let's do this for them. Number two, we have we have a lot of people that have young children and they're trying to be faithful to Sunday nights and I want them to be here. But sometimes because of bedtimes and, and all of that is more difficult. So why don't we do this for them? And if you can incorporate a, a reason for serving uh, for serving others and every change that you make, it, it helps the people that are maybe reluctant to change and say, oh, okay, I'll do this for them. And that's mm-hmm. a really good reason to, to do anything, to serve other people. Yeah. And then I, I, I think the third thing is, so number one, get ahead of it. You know, create the rationale, use the word try, not the word change, yeah. then give people ways by which this, this trying this is going to be a blessing to other people. And then I said, the last thing I did was this, I call this a uh, public coaching. And I think it's important for every pastor to do. And, and, and I call it, we speak, we W W E we speak. And here it is. Ready? Hey folks at faith Baptist church. We, we don't get worked up about minor issues. We, mm-hmm. we, we just don't do that. And so mm-hmm. here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a good attitude about this. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a good attitude about this. We're going to mm-hmm. try it. We're going to yeah. be a blessing. And yeah. I'll tell you what, we did that, communicated it way ahead of it, at, yeah. in advance, did all the things I just suggested, yeah. and we just didn't even hit a speed bump on it. Yeah. It, yeah. Was a, it was a big win for us. That's awesome. I think, you know, I, one thing I have wrote down here is communicate. And you just said that communication, how we do it. That's, that's key when we're doing these type of changes. Like you said, why? Well, and we got a large congregation of older people at the time that need to get home before dark. And, and when they're coming at dark, they're leaving at dark after time change. And we need to be thinking about them. So I think, I think that's, man, that's key in any change that we make. And, and it's, it's also in communication. Communication is comfort. Hmm. So they know that, hey, Kurt doesn't have another agenda here. Right. You know, this this is why we're doing what we're doing. Because I think sometimes when we make change, people automatically think the worst is coming. Sure. You know, oh, man, he's moving it to five. And the next thing you know, we're going to be getting rid of Sunday nights. Or, you know, hey, they're... Um, they're putting another song and we'll talk about this. They're putting a, a newer song on the screen. The next thing you know, we won't be singing hymns ever again. And communication, I think, like you said, is, is key and just comforting our people and explaining why we're doing what we're doing. Yes. And, no. and who we are and the why's behind it. Uh, no, that's so good. And, and, and you bring up a great point. And that is number one, there is an aversion to change in all of us. There's mm-hmm. a certain comfort to always doing things the same way. So communication mitigates that. I I, I love that. Um, and then there was something else I was going to say, but I can't remember. Yeah. It'll come back to me here in a moment. Yeah. So so when you know we're we've all I think adapted change too, especially through COVID. And man, it, it was a change every week. Oh, and I, I think I I know the other thing I was going to say. Yeah. So real quick, yeah, you're good. Uh, that is one of the reasons why people are averse to change is because a former leader, now that didn't happen with us at Faith, and it doesn't yeah. sound as if that happened to you, but sometimes a former leader has elevated that whatever you're going to change to a position of, that that is not biblical. For instance, I remember a well-known fundamental leader coming to our church in Connecticut, I'm talking about 30 years ago. And the the Sunday evening service at six, he he got up publicly and said, "You know why some churches have moved their Sunday evening service to six because that's what the modernists do." And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my goodness. So I think sometimes when fundamental leaders elevate preferences to the point of a biblical doctrine, you know, people that that aren't judgmental, they're they're not critical, that just are willing to receive that from a leader. Yeah, then then they can get that in their mind too. So yeah. you're having to dismantle sometimes some of that wrong thinking about preferential things. Yeah, exactly. And and so one of the big ones that we had at Faith that still comes up every now and then is is hymn books, right? And music on the screen. I don't know. Do you guys do music on the screen? We do. Okay. Was that there when you came, or did you bring that in? It, no, it was. Um, okay. It was. Okay. So we we just had the hymn books, and I'm. 
I'm preaching through Hebrews and I'm getting ready to go to before the throne of God. You know, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and what a better song to tie into that than before the throne of God. And I spent, I spent a Sunday, you know, just talking to our people about, about this. And you talk about the, we, so what I did, I said, faith, look, and even though I, I wasn't even, I mean, I would have been a baby at this time and in a different state, but I'm like, you remember when we would sing victory in Jesus way back in the seventies in the old building and the old hymn book that faith had didn't have victory in Jesus in it. And the kids would fight to see which one was going to get to go up and hold the poster board up huh. because you wrote the words and they're all, you know, they're smiling. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I said, all I am doing is holding a poster board up in the back of the church. It's just a big one. And, and it's just words to a good hymn. And there's good hymns out there that are being written by good friends of mine and people who have spoken in this church that we need to be singing. They're not in our hymn books. So I'm putting on a big poster board behind me on the screen. And it was just, just communication, explaining it. We're not throwing out hymns. We're just bringing in some new ones, just like these new ones were added to these hymn books later on. And that was it, you know, and explain it. But then the first time we sang, Carrie started crying at the piano mm -hmm. because everybody was looking up. My kids, I, I'm up there and I'm hearing my children at that time. They were little singing because they were, you know how it is. They put the hymn, they put the hymn book on the top of the pew and look down. And now everybody's up. And after that first song, nobody ever talked about going back mm -hmm. uh, just because. But again, like we're saying, it's, it's that communication. I think that's that's got to be key. So young guys coming in then one of the questions we get is do we do we gradually it's it's like pulling off the the band-aid do i do it just a little at a time or do i just rip it off all at once is there wisdom in one or the other how do we how do we balance it i'm coming in should i just you know blow up the auditorium and redo everything or just gradually do it what's your what's your take on that and words of wisdom for guys sitting in that seat i think the implementation of something can be like pulling off a band-aid but I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of pulling off the band-aid without a time of teaching and communication Good. so that when the band-aid gets pulled off, people knew why the band-aid was there. Mm -hmm. They knew why the band-aid was no longer necessary. And they knew that we we're going to rip this thing off because it's a whole lot easier emotionally to rip the band-aid off than to try to do it piece by piece and pull out every little hair on your arm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 good. And so so coming in then, when you're looking at it as a new pastor coming in, as you were coming into faith, did you lay out? Look, I, I know the church, I know the people. Here are some things I would like to do over the years. Or did you just come in saying, um, "Hey, Lord, you just lead as we go"? Did you talk to the Did you talk to the leaders about some things that you might change? Or were you open with them or did you just kind of say, okay, Lord, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there? Um, a, a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, I, I think some of it was covered in just the question and answer time. You know, Pastor Skelly, who are you? Hmm. And I would talk about this. What, what are the things that matter to you Yeah. here? You know, and what are the things about which you will not make a big deal? This and and so I was very communicative about all, all of those things and yeah. all the big preferences. I was very communicative about that. Yeah. On the other hand, I would say this: if a church mirrors exactly all the preferences of the pastor, then really that pastor is a selfish leader mm, because a yeah. pastor should also be should also be yielding his preferences. So if we're teaching people hey, there are some preferences you need to be willing to yield, then I think as a pastor, there are some preferences we need to be willing to yield. So for instance, Faith Baptist Church, is it exactly where I would be musically or exactly where I would be in some of these other hot button areas? No, it's not. I mean, I would probably allow myself, matter of fact, I do allow myself liberty beyond what our church does. Mm. But I'm very comfortable with with our our safe approach yeah. and so to me as a pastor i feel as if i'm yielding some of my preferences as well that's good that's really good and i i, I appreciate that and love that and i think that's that's wise because I've, I've had those conversations too well 
Why? Well, honestly, I'm kind of where you are, but this is where the church is. Sure. And this is what's best for the church. So, so follow up question with that is as you travel and you're in these other churches, you're, you know, you've, you've been at West Virginia church, you've been at, you know, you, where you are, how much does culture come in when we're looking at, you know, so let's say we have um, a guy born and raised in um, Seattle, Washington, and now he finds himself planted at, you know, Parkersburg, West Virginia. And how much of that changes because of culture? And when you see that and you're in these churches, we've talked about sometimes when you're preaching, I, I think guys change their preaching depending on the culture or the context that they're in, right, wrong or indifferent. Does culture play a part on a young guy going into a state, into an area that, you know, he's not familiar with? I, well, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a softball question. Of course it does. And it's interesting because we all get that when it comes to our missiology. Every one of mm -hmm. us gets that. We all understand that if I'm going to go to India, I'm not going to try to Americanize yeah. or independent Baptist eyes their service structure. For instance, I've been to India. The men sit on one side, women on the other. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. I'm not going to say, hey, bless God, husbands and wives sit together. And put your armor. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So, so to me, it's yes. I think you want to understand culture. If I'm going to a different country, I want to do the best I can to learn their language and learning their language. Language is more than this. Mm. Language is the way we comprehend things. We understand this in Bible preaching and teaching that I don't want to read the Bible with Western eyes. You know, I want to pay attention to Bible geography and customs because I want to understand this text within the culture in which it was written and which it was spoken. So culture is absolutely imperative. And we dare not make a change without understanding culture. Now I'll say, I'll say, well, actually I'll say three things about culture. Number one, there are aspects of culture that in and of themselves are wrong. So we live in this world. We live in the arrangement of this world. And the Bible says we're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. So there are parts of culture that should be repudiated, no mm -hmm. doubt. And we, we independent Baptists, we're good at that. Yep. Okay, but there are other parts of culture that ought to be celebrated. There, there are redeeming qualities to culture. For instance, it is the culture in certain countries, Japan, um, Korea, to have a healthy respect for one's elders, mm -hmm. to be very deferential to one's grandparents. Well, that's not the culture in America, unfortunately. But it is in Japan. So if I were a missionary to Japan, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to celebrate that culture. In America, our culture is when there's a disaster, people jump on with disaster relief. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a great thing. So we ought to celebrate that. So there are certain things in culture that ought to be repudiated. There yeah. are certain things in culture that ought to be celebrated. But here's the thing. Most of culture is neither right nor wrong. It's neutral. For instance, if I go to a certain home that maybe they have some Asian influence, you're going to take off your shoes. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to say, bless God, there's nothing in the Bible about taking off your shoes when you go to someone's house. No, I'm yeah. just going to defer because that's their culture. Yeah. So what we need to do in any culture, whether I pastor in West Virginia or Virginia or Pennsylvania or Connecticut or many of the other places I've been to preach... I want to know what is appropriate. And right. then I want to stay within those guardrails of appropriateness, understanding yeah. that this is neither right nor wrong. And I'll even make a stronger statement. And the stronger statement is, insofar that culture is neutral, I am obligated to change to it. Yeah, That's a heavy that's, statement. That's a big statement. So insofar, a big word. Okay. You're right. So insofar that culture is neutral, I have an obligation. And that was Paul's entire philosophy in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So yeah. to the Jew, I'm going to become as a Jew. To the Greek, as a Greek. So the whole issue in Romans 14, I am willing to defer my preferences in any area, especially in a public setting. Now, if I want to do that, I can do it at home. But yeah. I'm going to defer in a public setting to the culture. And that is such a wise 
standard of practice. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so good. I had a a good friend of mine years ago, he and his wife went to a small and I I was originally from that area. So I knew what they were going into. And it was just not culturally her at all. She comes from the arts background and concerts and music. And they're moving into this small country town where it's Friday night football and bitty league baseball is that's the highlight. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in their house and she said, I hate football. And I remember leaving thinking, man, they're going to struggle because the whole community is just about football and and playoffs and, and from the little guys up. And, and I think it's important for us, you know, West Virginia, we have festivals like crazy and it's, it's the buckwheat festival and the Rams festival and the Springs festival and, and, you know, we went to the Springs Festival this year and it was like a church gathering. Everybody's, everybody's there. And I told my intern, look, you got to come, man, because this, this is culture. This is where we go. This is where we are. And it's fun. And we had a great time. My kids love it, but that's, it's, it's a cultural thing. And it's, it's not something every church is going to do or, or have, but I think there are certain things that, that we need to adapt in order to be, like you said, all things to all men. Yes. And, and, and where they are. Can you think of any like what are some cultural differences when you're coming from Western Pennsylvania um, now to to Virginia and two different types of people? What are can you think of anything offhand that was different for you to adapt to culturally? Yeah. So uh, one of the big things coming from from Western Pennsylvania, which is very sedentary. Mm-hmm. Western Pennsylvania, our church in Western Pennsylvania would not be much different in its thinking and its uh, culturality than your church right. uh, in Morgantown. Right. Are very similar. So mm-hmm. coming to Virginia, there are essentially three cultures in our church. There is the Virginian, who is a lifelong Virginian here, who's been here his whole life, who is more of a Southern Virginian. Uh, okay. They are blue collar. They are hunter hunters and fishermen all the things you would think stereotypically of virginia but there are two other huge demographics here number one there are government employees a ton of people that come in they're contractors they work in dc they're government employees government people that's that is a culture they think differently Mm -hmm. and then there's a huge military component here Okay. We have Veterans Day. I mean, you have people stand. It's all men and women. Wow. It's amazing. Why? Wow. Because we have Quantico nearby. We have many. Mm. We're a destination place for retirement for many mm. people that come out of the military. So one of the things that really I struggled with when I came here was in Western Pennsylvania, nobody left. Nobody yeah. left. Why? Because you live there and you stay there. Here, mm. everybody leaves. Mm. You people come in for three years. And then they leave. They come in for a contract and Mm. then they leave. And so there was a little bit of a mentality, not not among all our people, but among some of our people, almost as if to say, I don't want to get to know these people. They're just going to be here and gone. I don't want to invest in this relationship. And we certainly don't want to give them leadership opportunity because they're here and gone. But my thought was, that's not fair. That's not fair to... Mm somebody that's doing a three-year stint, not to be able to speak into the life of our church. We're inheriting sometimes some really solid church members. Yeah. So even understanding that culture and making adjustments to it was a big part of the early two years that I was here. Yeah. So how does that impact your preaching? You've got you know these three different groups, and as, and as you're sitting down, you're thinking, okay, some are here gone, some are military, um, some are you know, all week long, they've done things they're not even allowed to tell me about. And the other guys are going to tell me about the trout they caught down by the creek. When you preach, do you keep that all in your mind, Kurt, as you're putting that together? I try to. Yeah, I try to. And and when I talk about sermon prep, you know, application is always the, the last part. You, know, you mm-hmm. want to think through explanation. Some people call that context. Yeah. And, and then illustration. And even in illustrations, I think through it a bit. But yeah. application, I think application is... A pastor, and, the, and to me, the key to application to a message is think your way into the lives of your people and then pray for them. Mm. And, and I think that comes out naturally as you're looking at people in the eye, not looking yeah. over people's heads. It, it ought to become natural and intuitive 
for a pastor to be looking out and seeing this guy who's a colonel in the Marines and this other guy who runs a marina at a local lake. And then this other lady here who works in the Pentagon. And when you begin to think through and pray for the people that to whom you're preaching, I think mm-hmm. those applications begin to arise naturally. That's good. That's good. So, you, you know, you were talking about figuring out, figuring out, man, I got three different groups here and in, in what I have. And I think that's key as you're coming in. It's it's to figure out or ask the question, okay, why is it this way? And I think, you know, some pastors I've talked to or seeing things they've changed, it would behoove them to ask the question, why? Mm. You know, so my wife, she saved me many times with this. Is I'm looking up at the auditorium and I'm looking at these curtains that just need to go. <laughs> you know, and, and just to give clarification, my wife was born and raised at the church. She was there when they built that building, you know. She's been wife. waiting to say that for a long yeah, yeah. time. <laughs> yes. I said, why are we why aren't we moving these curtains? She's like, don't touch those curtains. You know, uh, you know, so and so drove three hours south of Charleston, the big city, to get the fabric. So she could come back of her own money and make those curtains. And if you change those curtains, um, you're going to have problems on your hands. So you know what? We just, the way I looked at it, the curtains were not hindering our worship. They were not hindering the word of God. The curtains could stay. Hmm. And and the curtain stayed until the lights went out in 2020. And then we totally redid everything when no one was there. And yeah. It was fine after that. Yeah, you but, have a beautiful auditorium. But you know, to me, that is such a great illustration that people are more important than things. Absolutely. And that yeah. comes back then where I was going to follow up, Kurt, was just love. I mean, I think, and you can emphasize this because out of all, most people I know, and I'll say this, I feel like one of your gifts and strengths is loving people. When you came in and you spoke for us, our kids loved you, you loved them, and it was just it was just natural. It's natural for you. I'm that way. How important it is for these guys as they come into this church to remember love first. So let me give you a statement that you probably have never heard in your life. It's unique to me, okay. but people don't care how much you know. <laughs> until <laughs> on, I want to write this down. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's so trite, but it is yeah. so very true. L- love earns us the right to say. I think about what the Apostle Paul said. He said, oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our mm. heart is enlarged. You're not yeah. straightened in, in us. You're straightened in your own love, your own mm. balances or there. So the, the problem, he said, the reason we're saying things to you that are hard to hear is because we love you yeah. and love gives you ingress in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And I think, you know, going into a ministry right off the bat, that that should be one of the priorities that it's not, man, I'm going to change this or I'm going to straighten these people out or, man, wait till they hear me preach. It's just if we come in and guys, if you, as you're listening to this and you're, you know, thinking about, man, next year, I'm going to start this new ministry or I'm going into the first of the year. My, my first words of advice would be go in with a heart of love. Just go in and, and love these people and ask God to give you a heart of love for these people. And and I would say, Kurt, not only to love that, but even as we we were talking, to love the culture that they're in. You know, um, celebrate it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got talking about Parkersburg and Beckley. I've got two boys, one of my boys in Beckley and one of my boys in Parkersburg from the West Coast. Hmm. And, you know, I know for Sam coming in and and hearing people talk like, I don't know, Pastor Craig, if he's going to get used to the the West Virginia culture or not. I don't you know, he always talks about driving to church and seeing guys working on their trucks with their shirts off. And I'm not <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he can handle this, you know, and and but, you know, Sam's done a great job and and he loved those those people there at Bible Baptist. They love him. But it was just him coming in to love them, to care for them to love that culture, to adapt himself to the West Virginia culture. And he's excelled and, you know, he's just done a great job. But I think that's very important as we come into ministries like that, um, you know, just just humbly, humbly coming in. And so you're, you're coming into a ministry then. And, you know, there's some things that you're looking at, Kurt, that you're seeing that, Man, you just you know that eventually we're we're going to have to to cross this. Let's let's even say it's a style of preaching, 
right? Yeah. So we're expository, we're teaching the word, and you're stepping into a ministry that's, that's just been topical. So Sunday morning, they heard love. Sunday night, they heard joy. Wednesday night, they heard peace. The next Sunday morning, they're hearing a message on Israel. That Sunday night on Palestine, it's just topical. It's all over the board. And, and you come in and say, open up to Habakkuk chapter one. And it's like, whoa, what are we doing? You know, is that something that we should just come right in doing? Or do you think guys should just even look at what they're used to getting fed and work their way into that? What would be your advice in that situation? My advice would be yes. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think you can do both. I said, for, first of all, I think that a, an expository message properly preached is a topical message because God I speaks agree. coherently. Yeah. So what I would say is early on, if somebody is going into a topical culture where expository preaching has not been the norm and you are an expository preacher, what I would say is emphasize not the exposition, but emphasize the topic that the exposition is exposing. So in that sense, hey, I'm preaching this this I'm I'm preaching this week not on John 11 verses 1 through 16, but I'm preaching this week on what's the topic? Hmm. On you know the, how to respond when you perceive that Jesus doesn't show up. Yeah. So so you can still hmm. preach those topics expositorily but emphasize the topic. So I would say that That's first. Good. I yeah. think number I think number two, we all do topical things, even in the in the traditional topical sense. We do them at different times. So, for instance, we might do a family series on a Wednesday night. We yeah. might do a, a topical series on a Sunday school format. So, what yeah. I would just say to guys is let people know that those options still exist. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of, of negating them. It's a matter of assigning them to different time slots. That's awesome. That's really good. That's really good. So, so following up with that, then, um, you know, we're, we're kind of in, and, and you probably see it even more than I do as you travel. The, the word Sunday school is kind of, that's going away. As, you know? as soon as I said it, I thought, do people know yeah. what I'm talking about? <laughs> so, so yeah. So, all right, you go into this church. It's got Sunday school, man. We can't have Sunday school. We've got to have life groups or, or have this or have is Sunday school calling it Sunday school in your eyes that big of a deal? Do we need to, you know, if we switch to life groups, it's going to change things. What's your take just even personally with that? What do yeah. you see with that? Right. My, my my take is don't get in love with a name, get in love with a, a, a biblical ideal. Okay. So That's for right. instance, we, we at faith, we value three ideals, really four but as it comes to the church gathering, we got we we value three ideals. Here they are. Number one, we believe that every single person at Faith Baptist Church ought to be able to worship God with his family undistracted. Mm. And what I mean by that is husband's not working the sound booth, he's not on the safety team, he's not outside ushering, he's she's not in the nursery, she's not they're, they're not in junior church, they're together with their children in a worship service. Now, that only works in a church that has multiple services because yeah. somebody has to be in the nursery, somebody has to be in the junior church, someone has to be elsewhere. But yeah. in our church, we're able to say we value every single person at our church being in a worship service undistracted. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, we value every single person in our church being in a group. That's yeah. a smaller subset of people who gather for the purpose of mutual learning, edification, and accountability. So we believe that everybody ought to be in a group. Number two, number three, we believe that everybody ought to be on a team. So a team differs from a group in the sense that we gather not to look at each other, but to serve with each other. So Mm -hmm. a team. So we have a bunch of different teams. So in that sense, three to thrive. But our three to thrive is we want you worshiping. We want you growing in a group. We want you serving on a team. Now, here's the thing. When does that happen? Multiple times. So you can meet in a group on Sunday morning. That's Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And some of our older people that love that terminology, I don't care what the terminology is, call it yeah. a group, call it a connection group, call it a life group, call it a small group, call it a Sunday school class. It doesn't matter to me. Use yeah. whatever name you want, but here's what it is. Okay. Same thing with the team. So 
my, my our our metric for success is how many people are worshiping, growing, and serving. Because yeah. think about the physical life. In the physical life, you know, we want to be able to eat and exercise with the right spirit. So the right spirit is worship. Eating is is growing in a group. Exercising is serving on a team. So we we want that kind of balance in our church. So that that's what okay. we've done. That's good. I, that's what I was going to say. Balance, I think, is the key when you're looking at that and and having that. I'm the same way. We we have the two services, so my kids know if they're going to serve one, they got to sit one. Now, but here's the problem, though. The problem what? is, okay, they've got to serve one and sit one. Mm-hmm. But, but when's the group? Do you not do groups on Sunday morning? Yeah, we do. We okay. do. So, yeah. and, that's, and they've got to be there. They can't miss that. But but what's what's great for, for us is this. Okay, so. I encourage people either serve and sit on Sunday morning or serve and grow. So you can, oh, or, yeah. rather, or, or or rather, I'm sorry, sit and grow. Yeah. So here are your two options on Sunday morning. You can come to a service and then go to a group or group and then service. Yes. Or you can come to a service and then serve somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But if you sit and serve on Sunday morning, then the one component you've missed is a group. So now on Wednesday night, I want you in a group. That's good. If you've gone to, if you've, if if you've sat on a Sunday morning and gone to a group, then Wednesday night, I want you to serve. Yeah. And then we've, we've provided even other opportunities in the week we have groups, in the week we Mm -hmm. have serving teams. So I just want somebody to have a touch in all three areas. No, I think that's fantastic. And, and yeah, so my kids know, you know, that's where they want them. We tell our people, that's where I want you. I mean, obviously in the ideal idealistic world, they all would, but we know that's not the case. Right. They come serve and leave. And, you know, that's between them and the Lord, but that's, we've made ways for them to be there. You know, like with me, I, I thought it was interesting is with our groups, I'm, I'm expository. So I've got Romans going, I've got Peter going, and I've got Titus going in my different Sunday schools or whatever. And one of my college couples came in late and, you know, the girl was blaming it on her boyfriend. Yeah, he picked me up late. And and I was so upset because I didn't want to miss Bible study today. So it was interesting, no matter what we call it. She was talking about Sunday school. Right. You know, she she was upset that she missed Romans 7 because Johnny was in Romans 7. She missed Bible study today. Mm. I thought, if you're going to call it anything and that's what we default to, praise the Lord. Yeah, that's good. You no, know, that's, really that's good. what we want. You know, yeah, and, and those let, kids, people, let people call call it what they want to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I feel. I, it does, Like you said, it doesn't matter to me what you want to call it um, as long as it's accomplishing what we know it needs to. Correct. In in regard to that and where and where that is. So that's good. So so these guys coming in um, talk about I had a book called The First Hundred Days or or five the first five years um, coming into ministry. You know what? As I again, as I've watched some of these guys coming in and and uh, coming into ministry, sometimes Kurt, the the worst things that we could do, sometimes it's the small things. Mm. Um, yep. You know, Mrs. So and So brings peppermints and sets them out in the lobby every single Sunday morning, and one Sunday morning she comes in and her peppermint jar is gone. Well, we're not going to do that anymore because you know the paper's getting on the carpet, or, and that's that's devastating. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes it's not the major changes that we've got to look at. I think sometimes it's the little ones, yep. you know, that can that we've got to be careful. But that that comes in with I think that questioning of why. Yes. Yeah. Ahead of any change, ahead of any change, you've got to ask the why question. Yeah. You're not going to you're not going to do it perfectly. There are going to be decisions you make that you didn't see because you couldn't possibly have seen it. Like how would taking this candy away possibly offend somebody is what you're thinking. So you do it and then you find out later it did offend them. And then you communicate afterward. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the only thing to do is go in and say, I am sorry. The last thing in the world I ever want to do is offend you. You know, thank you for continuing to come to church and not making this an issue. And I mean, yeah, that's good. You're, you're, yeah. you're gonna there must needs be offense it must yeah. needs be that offenses will come it's gonna happen yeah, absolutely it's going to and and the humble approach is the approach and the i'm sorry approach and 
yeah, and and arrogant. This is just the way it's going to be because I'm the pastor. That's not going to do. Your church will find itself cut in half very quickly yeah. if that's how we come in. So I've got a big one now. All right, take Uh-oh. a deep breath, get your drink of water. <laughs> right. I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hide behind my Bible. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Staff. Yeah. Okay. We're going to come into situations, you know, and I read Maxwell coming into Morgantown. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, going, going, going. And then I read one of Maxwell's books that said, when you go in, everybody has an A. Everybody starts with an A plus, no matter what your preconceived thoughts are of them until they show you otherwise. Um, So that's what I did. And I'm thankful that the Lord let me read that before I went in. But not everybody's going to stay at an A. And there are going to be staff members that are going to have to be removed. So, so take us through, Kurt, what, you know, a young guy is coming in and it could be somebody that's been there 10 years and he's in year number one, but he knows, okay, we've got to make a change here. How do we go about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. I, I do, you know, lessons on that, 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 whole okay. but, okay. but, I'll, but I'll say this, uh, number one, I agree with Maxwell's philosophy, and that is everyone gets an A. And they've never been under your leadership. Mm-hmm. So you're judging them for their behavior, but you, they've never been under your leadership. So give them love, believes all things, and hopes all things. So when you enter a relationship with a staff member, it, it's important, just like with a church member, to clearly communicate. You know, he, here's what we value. Uh, here's we want you on the team insofar that these non-negotiables are in place. You're, you know, we we need the big C's, right? With character and competency and and communication and and all of that. So mm-hmm. I, I think start I think start there. I think build in checkpoints. So when you communicate with staff, build in checkpoints. Like we're going to talk about this again in three months, or we're going to talk about this on our yearly review. And here are the here are the standards by which you're going to be measured. And mm-hmm. all of that is important. But then I would say this, ministry is the investment in your staff. That is real ministry, especially Absolutely. in a growing church. You know, Jesus invested in his staff. Mm-hmm. You know, the, word, the word staff comes from the word for a shepherd staff. Yeah. And just like a shepherd needed a staff as a tool to protect the sheep and to chastise the sheep and to lead the sheep. So we need staff, you know, as a tool to help us in those ways. So, so to me, it's, it's a matter of here's who we are, here's what we do. And then spend your time investing in them. Mm. They they can't view themselves as widgets. Like if I just need stuff done, especially the stuff I don't want to do, I give it to a staff member. No, they need to know I love them. I have their best interest in mind. I want them to grow in their leadership. So there's a lot of proactivity on the part of the senior leader to say, I, I'm vested in your success. I, I don't have to be the head honcho. I don't have to be the one that gets the praise for every event. I don't want to be the one that has to be the chief decision maker on every issue. In fact, when that staff member is making more and more independent decisions, when he's receiving more and more of the credit for the success of that ministry, that is success. So I think all of that goes together. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And then, you know, sometimes then, but you're there, you're working and you just, you just know, okay, this isn't working. And, and so I think you just sit down and have a conversation and say, Hey, this isn't working out or, Hey, it's time to pray about something else or, how do, what's the best way to do that um, with someone in those situations? So that conversation should be obvious to both people because you have communicated so effectively along the lines that by the time that uncomfortable conversation takes place, that it, it, it's obvious to both people. And mm-hmm. a lot of times that conversation is, you know, hey, brother, I, here's my perspective is I just feel like this is not working out. What is your perspective? Yeah. And many times people will fire themselves. You know, yeah, you know what? You're right. So listen, how do we how do we off-ramp in a way that's going to be beneficial to you, to your family, to our church, 
and, and ask. It's kind of like in discipline with a child. Sometimes you say, well, you know you did wrong. What do you think an appropriate consequence is? Mm-hmm. And what you'll find sometimes, is, especially with teenagers, is they'll suggest a consequence that was beyond what you would have done. Well, right. take right. my phone away for right. nine months. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so to me, I think that's important. Respect, give people an off-ramp, understand that with every staff member failure, there is a wife, there are children, there are yeah. people that have been helped, there are investments. So I think it's really, really important to understand that human component. You'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong being over gracious. You'll never, uh, go, never go wrong. No, you'll never, you know, five years from now, you'll never miss that six month severance package. hundred percent. But by not doing it, you'll never, you'll all, you will regret it and you'll hear about it and you'll think, man, I wish I would have, but it's too late. See, and now so- what I'm going to do, Treg, is I'm going to come apply to work on your staff. <laughs> And then I'm going to like do something really stupid after two weeks so I can get there six you go. months. There you go, pay. man. There you go. Take it. Take it. Go. Um, put your wife on there too. I'll take care of. I'll, I'll I, make love sure I love that. I love that. I just, I, it's just, sometimes it's just the right thing to do. Right. And, and maybe that staff member is going through something where, you know what? I, I know of a situation right now that the staff member was let go, but I think there is personal stuff going on in the life and, you give the guy two months, that's not long enough for him to even to get help and to figure out what's going on in his own life. You know, no. the ministry's got the money, you've got the resources, just give the guy six months or whatever. You're not going to hire a staff member the next three months anyway. What are you going to do with that? Let them have it and um, let them heal yes. and and seek what God has for them so they don't have that pressure of providing their family on top of it. I just think that's the, I don't know, that's just me, but I think it's the right thing to do. People will forget what people will forget what you do, mm-hmm. but they'll never forget how you make them feel. Yeah. To me, that that to to that that exit is so important mm-hmm. because you want to you want to reserve a brother. You you want to you, you want to keep that relationship. Not always going to. You're not always going to, but but I'll tell you, we had some situations in Western Pennsylvania where we had to let some people go. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult. It, it's always difficult. Yeah. And but in all of those situations, I, I think everyone, uh, with a, a possible exception of one, we have a good relationship. It's good with those people, and, and and that's important. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's if that's possible. I think that's the ideal. And and God uses it. I don't. We don't know Paul and Barnabas um, if they ever had coffee together or not, but. God used something to happen to separate the two of them. And then look what God did with that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from using John Mark to, yep. to write Mark to yep. Paul and Silas, I mean, we wouldn't have any of that had it not been God saying, okay, guys, you've done your, your time together. Now it's time to go separate ways. And that's not all bad. No, no, it's not. No, it's yeah. not. And sometimes that happens. So, well, Kurt, any last words as you think about these guys? We're, we're talking about these assistant pastors. You know, maybe they've been in the ministry a couple of years. They're getting ready to step into this senior role. Uh, it might be a small church. It might be a big church. What are some words of wisdom that you would give to them as they are stepping in and they look around and they see things that need changed? How can you encourage them? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of the themes about which we've spoken today are themes like be slow. Seek to understand first. Love listens. Mm-hmm. So even the peppermint illustration. Just ask why. Why is that fence there? Why is that policy there? Why is that service time in its place? Ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Um, fertilize the ground for change by having a lot of private conversations with people. What do you think? I'm thinking about this. Would you help me with? Don't ever just make a change by... standing up in front of people and saying, well, we're going to, we're changing this. You kind of know there's a thousand conversations that ought to precede that. That's right. That's right. And then just taking a couple of those other things, like don't change, try Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. ground, communicate well. Um, I, I feel like even a young man can effectively make 
good Joshua changes in his ministry if he follows just a couple of these time-honored principles? That's really good. And, you know, the trying things, I want to go back to that for a second. Um, I don't, early on, I don't know how many different chairs we had on the pulpit. It was like, try this, take it off, try this. And and it was funny because some people got to complaining about my style that I had on the platform. So I just took everything off. Hmm. One Sunday, everybody came to church and there was just a pulpit there. After that, it didn't matter what I put up. It looked better than a naked stage. <laughs> <laughs> they're like just get something up there yeah, we don't that's care. good that's uh, yeah good. but and i think trying is good but we had a house the first house we bought in ohio kurt it was um just kind of older rundown the house was built 1925 um nobody had done much to it and we you know carrie and i just married you know the, the house was fifty thousand dollars you know we're, we're paying a lot more than that for cars today five hundred dollar a month payment over those days again and and by the time we moved to North Carolina, I think we'd been in that house about eight years, nine years, I guess. But at year seven, our flowers and, you know, our hydrangeas and, you know, all of our landscaping, my grass, everything was beautiful. And I remember talking to a gardener and he says it takes about seven years of cycling of the, the fertilizers and everything to really get your plants here in Ohio where you need them. Hmm. And and the bottom line is it takes time. Yes. You know, the church guys you're going into is not going to be necessarily the church that you're thinking you want three years from now. And it shouldn't be four years from now. It takes time. Hmm. It takes time to invest. It takes, I mean, it's taken me seven years to get the staff around me. That's ideal for us to, to function the way that we're functioning. But the other thing is you have time. Right. And and don't get in a hurry and don't think all this has got to happen now. Man, it, it could be 10 years down the road and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you're preaching the word, you're teaching, you're being faithful to your calling. You'll get there eventually. And until those curtains come down, they're a great conversation piece. Yes, <laughs> and just, yes, yes. And, and, and just preach the word with the curtains behind you. Yes. And so, you know, oh, God... Yeah, I'd encourage you just don't don't think, you know, hey, it's we're not we're not Kurt Skelly at, at faith and we've got to get there year one. Now it's taken seven years. Yep. And yep. you know, we're we're at 10. And you know, somebody posted the other day, oh, no wonder churches aren't growing. Look at these pews. Man, I got the ugliest pews in the world. <laughs> pews are not hurting my church from growing. No. If no. you're giving them what they, I mean, you've all eaten at restaurants where the best restaurants in the world. I've had sushi in places that scare me, but it's awesome sushi. Hmm. And and if you are giving a quality product, they'll sit on the floor. Yep. To come and hear the teaching of the word of God. So so don't think you've got to throw out the pews and bring in the chairs or do this. Doesn't matter. Yep. If you're if you are faithful to your calling, you love the people, you love the Lord, you love this word, and you're giving them that product. Agreed. hundred percent. Yeah. Kurt, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I've well, enjoyed this, do this again sometime. Uh, we're going to do it again. Absolutely. Just because that's the only way I'm going to get a chance to catch you and see you, you know, love it. Love it. Yes, <laughs> right sir. there. I was hoping it was going to be Israel, but God had other plans for that too. Right, we'll, we'll do that too. We'll do it again. Yeah. And we're going to do journeys of Paul together soon too. So, Hey, Kurt, love you. Appreciate you. Tell, Hey, before we go, yeah. Well, tell people what's going on at Faith. You guys have got some things happening. Just yeah. just for curiosity in case somebody's heard through the rumor mill, oh, Kurt's leaving, you know, just kind of fill everybody in what's up. Yeah. So I left Harvest after 20 years of ministry in Pennsylvania and really felt that God was leading me to, to just be a help to churches and to pastors, not mm-hmm. an evangelist per se, but just a pastor helping pastors. Yeah. But uh, the, the Lord kind of detoured us. Uh, we came to faith. There were some needs here that we felt like our gift mix and experience could help. So yeah. we came to faith and we've been here for seven years and love every minute of it. God's done some amazing things. But just recently, I announced to our church that I'm on a three-year plan to transition because I still have that in my heart in the fourth quarter of my life to be a help to churches and, and pastors to have conversations like these. Uh, on Sundays, on Mondays, at churches. So we formed a public committee and we have actually called our first candidate, who's uh, one of our our associate pastor, to be the next pastor of our church. We're going to vote on him here in about three weeks. 
And at, I believe uh, that that will go successfully. We'll see what the church family decides, but but I have confidence. So do you want and, resumes yet? What's that? You want resumes yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet, because I think we're going to vote him in. You know guys he'll are writing our, him right now. <laughs> he'll, he'll be our co-pastor uh, working uh, alongside with me. And then, of course, we'll serve as our pastor in uh, the next couple of years. Man, how good is that? That's just, that's wonderful. That's ideal, I think. And if you talking about staff, you guys going into your church, if you can start at with those guys at 15 years old and seven years from now, at 22, they come back and they work with you. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yes, it is. You yes, know, is. that's a wonderful yeah. thing to bring them up from within. All right, Kurt, well, we'll be praying for yes, the sir. three weeks coming up. Um, by the time this gets launched, um, it'll already happen, but we'll definitely be praying through that transition and and even for your ministry to Israel and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, I know we're not hearing the half of it, I'm sure, of, of what's going on there. So we just need to keep all those folk in prayer. Again, Kurt, thank you so much, guys. Thank you sure. for tuning in and listening. If you know that this podcast or this video can be an encouragement or a blessing to someone else, man, share it, like it, and, and let others know where they can listen and find help as the assistant pastor serving in that second seat of ministry. 